Good evening. Good morning. Hello. How's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Good. The, uh, I'm afraid to, I was just after having a slug of coffee there, I was afraid to make the noise. Just for the uh, listener's benefit, obviously we don't like making silly noises where possible on a podcast, but uh, Mark is especially annoyed when I make a, take a sip of coffee. And not just on the podcast, but when we're ever on the phone, if I take a sip of coffee, he loses the plot. You see, you act like this is, you should be surprised by this or something. I mean, <laughs> it's the worst sound humanly available to humans. It's, <laughs> I think years ago you said to me, uh, when I used to eat a banana, it used to drive you insane. Well, maybe so, it's it? just you and the noises you make. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's what's going on here. There's, uh, a somebody else noises, there's a few other noises too I just I'll not get into like if, if uh, somebody else was eating a banana they wouldn't uh, <laughs> feel the wrath I remember that I remember that situation where you used to be eating bananas oh, I still feel the pain and actually the pain is very similar to the pain I feel when I hear you drinking coffee into my ears the, <laughs> I was looking on a, like a Scottish patter page on Instagram there and they say, what's the, what's the thing that drives your family unnecessarily insane? And one dude was like, uh, oh my, I think it's his, his missus gets like totally riled up at how wet he makes the towels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe this bananas and the, uh, the coffee and bananas is in the same, the same sphere. Anyways, onward. Yeah, onward, inward, kind of going backwards at this stage. But we were going to do a follow-up from our previous episode and get through the rest of these questions. Let's do it. So last time we answered a question from Rob, and we had intended to get through a few questions, but we really got through one that had three parts. So, yeah, today we have another couple of questions, and hopefully we'll get through... At least one, hopefully two. <laughs> the third one is quite a, quite a bit shorter and can be answered, I think, fairly succinctly. Okay, so the first question comes from William, and William initially contacted me on Twitter. He's a listener to the show, and I believe... To the show. Nice, nice. Finally a show, is it? Well, what else is a podcast show? <laughs> All right, go on. Onward. So, yeah, William is uh, either training as a coach or he is a coach or he's doing coaching as part of his training, but he's obviously interested in coaching. In particular, it looks like he's coaching soccer and football. When he said soccer slash football, I'm guessing, I believe he's in England somewhere, so I'm guessing he's talking about soccer, as we would understand it. As opposed to what? Gridiron? As opposed to gridiron? What was that? Is that a, that's a joke to tell on the <laughs> that's a joke to tell in Canada when they're pouring concrete is it no isn't that like the uh, oh, maybe, is that like an Australian term for American football oh possibly I was thinking maybe I just that, totally invented uh, that in my head gridiron I never heard of that before in my life I don't um, think this question matters what type of football you're playing anyways it's, it's a team sport is kind of the, the the crux of it isn't it yeah, and I'm not going to answer using soccer as an example either because um, it's not something I know enough about. I think you can answer it in a more principled fashion and then we'll let William extract what he needs to or, or apply it to the soccer situation. So I'm going to read out his question. Um, he came at us a couple of times or he came at me with a couple of emails and one was a kind of refining of the first one so he said initially he said basically i wanted to ask you you see he wants to think about coaching in terms of team sports right and um he's saying i'm not sure if you have much experience with sports such as football however i've been consistently shocked by the roadblocks put in the way of of challenging and shifting traditional paradigms around what coaching is what learning is and how it can look and feel so initially he was saying i want to kind of get a sense from you what learning 
is and how and why behavior changes emerge with the view to becoming more skillful at supporting positive behavioral changes. But he kind of refined that, and I'm glad he did. Because I think it's such a big question, right? What is learning? And I wouldn't even really attempt to answer it. But I think everything we do here and everything we talk about is related to learning in some way. So his kind of refinement on the question was, um, he was reflecting back on one of our episodes where we talked about, in particular, talked about native habits. And you had said something about something within the context of jujitsu not feeling native to you or whatever. So... He reflects on that and he says, okay, um, essentially this is the concept and the idea around what I really want to understand. In football, when discussing the micro scale of actions, so just to give a bit of background here, he's obviously coming from an ecological, psych- ecological psychology is a particular I suppose, framework or theoretical position within the broader field of psychology or discipline of psychology and it adopts a particular language and i guess he likes my or he likes what we're doing here because a lot of the language we do here would overlap with that and even borrow from it at times so he obviously has some some background there so when he's talking about the micro scale of actions um, he actually qualifies that leaving aside for a, se- for a second the longer time scale influences and opportunities for behavioral change to emerge so he's really talking about uh, second to second moment to moment minute to minute interactions on the field of play as opposed to right the longer time scale which might be a week of training it might be a season it might be you know a career anyway just making those distinctions during the season i'm looking for i'm looking to provoke or facilitate the emergence of new behavior to problems that individuals and collectives face this is with a view that they go experiencing and exploring new ways to overcome situations so that they may may be more flexible in their response to each situation and context as the previous experience add to their capacity to deal with future contexts a traditional approach is to introduce players to new behaviors and actions. However, for me, that faced the problem outlined by your brother. That is, that this can often be foreign and not native, hence not matching your internal or unique characteristics. And so, what I would prefer is to create the possibility for the emergence of new behavior, but in a self-organizing manner such that it does have synergies with the higher order constraints of that individual and context. So really he's getting at the idea like, I don't want to over-determine my instruction for a particular uh, response to a particular situation because that's not relying or not tapping into what is already, say, the strengths and capacities of the individual who I'm maybe suggesting a particular behavior to, you know, and he's, and he's thinking like, how can we, I suppose, marry the best of both worlds, right? How can I, develop forms of instruction that allow for the emergence of, say, individual strengths within a given context. So he goes on to kind of um, reflect on an idea he has. So one hypothesis I have is to provoke this is to create a football situation, a task that they are looking to achieve, and then rather than giving ideas of how to overcome it, as they continue to do the same or a few constant responses, perhaps a better way for them to perceive the same context in a different way. This is in brackets. Hence, having them perceive new information that previously didn't tend to and consequently perceive new affordances they didn't previously perceive is to change the context that wraps the situation. So by affordances there, he's using some technical language within ecological psychology and it really just means the perception of an opportunity for type of action right and he talks about the the perceiving of new information right so in ecological psychology our environment provides us with information in the structure of the light and that information in the structure of the light basically gives us information with respect to affordances like so the the structure in the light or the sound or whatever the modality of perceiving is gives us access onto opportunities for action right so i perceive a chair for instance i don't perceive the chair as a chair and then 
make an additional perception or say cognition of what the chair is going to do for me. I perceive the chair as an opportunity to sit down. So I perceive the ball as kickable or I perceive the tackle as makeable. Um, I don't perceive a tackle, then make some sort of a calculation on the base of that. And then, well, I may, I may, but I most of the time I don't. Uh, I perceive the opportunity within the kind of information that's present in my perception of what's taking place. So the idea, he says here, the idea is to maintain the task and physical nature of the situation frozen so that the same physical information remains, but change the context of what they're perceiving the situation from with the view to provoking a different perspective on the same situation. Now, it's a funny way of talking about this because I don't think that's exactly right. But basically saying, right, if we hold the situation as stable insofar as the things that are going on around the person, how do we get that person to reinterpret those things in a different way than, say, they might be accustomed to interpreting them. I won't go into it here, but I can see how in within ecological psychology, this is a conversation between me and William, I can see how within ecological psychology, the idea that the information remains the same seems like an almost inevitability, right? But there's various approaches within ecological psychology that would say, you know, the history of interacting in a situation actually means that the available information is is not the same at all. It's actually different. If you want, William, you can read a paper I'm actually just after writing on. Uh, it's called Bringing Forth Within Inhabiting at the Intersection Between Ecological Psychology and an Action. And, uh, I go into a little bit, I go into this a little bit. Anyway, responding to William. Okay, so. Right, well, just slow down, slow down. Right. There's a lot of stuff there. Okay, so I was going to just summarize it here, right? All right, so summarize everything there. So what I think William is interested in is how coaching can support individuals exploring more options and thus being more creative but without dictating a specific course of action. And so like, all right, in, in the common, in the, in the current scenario in a, in a soccer match, a coach would be very much have a game plan and is like, right, well, if, 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 if the ball comes through the center, you, you clear it from the center out to the wings. And like they, they have like, and they, you know, obviously there's more, you know, every coach and every team has different tactics and they're very, they're directed at the team. So that's kind of the traditional method. And like, this is what you do when this happens. And obviously there's individual nuances that every player has, but they're all kind of playing under a system or a, uh, in line with the coach's tactics. But this is, he's asking how can we do something differently here rather than having them directed to do what would be the standard tactics, they might do something else. Like, is it this to, to how, how can you hold true what the, 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 the tactics of the team are uh, whilst trying to do what he's doing? So this, uh, this, this is, I think, something we're going to come to at the end of my response. But ultimately, I'm going to suggest that if you want to take this approach, you kind of have to build it in from the start, right? You know, the start of the season with a new team, it has to be almost in everything you do. And then I would, I would also, we'll get to that, I think, but I'm also going to suggest that there probably should be some sort of cautions with, with actually doing this because, you know, in some ways, a lot of football coaching is probably fairly well optimized. Now, William suggests it isn't, and I'm going to kind of trust him in that. And I can certainly see in domains that I'm familiar with, which, you know, coaching has been around for a long time, that there is, you know, a lot to be optimized. So I trust that William sees something similar in, in his own domain. But yeah, he's really asking, okay, look, look, everybody has all these strengths, right? And 
this is at the core of his concern i think like these are potentialities right potentialities don't get realized because the coaching over determines the situation yeah and says this is what i'm expecting from you you better do it and because you you know set up that expectation you offer a frame but that frame mightn't actually accord with that person's kind of potential and therefore it's maybe covering over possible strengths so he's saying like how can you you know let people explore a little bit such that they can bring forth their strengths yeah and be more creative right and yeah, is it to say that like what in those soccer players, what, what's native to them soccer players or what becomes native to them in this narrowed focus is a result of having, you know, followed coaching direction for a period so that the non-native stuff or the, the, the stuff that's on the fringes, they might have not bothered with and they might have just stuck to, to what is like required of a soccer player. Is that right, right, right. I, th- I think is that is, that's yeah, yeah. Is that saying the same thing. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> I think if you're yeah, yeah, if you're thinking about like um, you know an entire team situation, imagine you have an entire team for you know ten years, right? And you're trying to say, okay, we want to progress this team and get the best out of them. Most teams obviously don't last ten years, but say three years, for instance. And what if you could like, in a sense have a system such that you can bring the best out of everybody over the course of that three years such that you know you're upregulating the potentiality of the whole team by in a sense amplifying all of their best features and then you know what are the possibilities at that point because then you get emergent synergies right across the team that reflect the best of everyone now i guess coaches are trying to do that you know and they're saying uh this guy is obviously he's 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 got these characteristics he's good in defense that's where he needs to go but maybe maybe that's over determining and it's 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 setting a set of limits that maybe don't best reflect that player's potentials, but... Yeah, well, an example is like, uh, you know, like a, a Dennis Irwin or a, like a, a left back or a Roberto Carlos, like a, a defender that is good at penalties, you know? Like they're, they're not the striker, they're not supposed to necessarily be good at penalties. And, you know, maybe they they rarely even have the opportunity to, to put their hand up. But then when it comes to, um, you know, when they're practicing penalties and training, that's their opportunity. And then, you know, if, 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 if it wasn't set up that the whole team got to take penalties, their potential might never be realized in how good they are at scoring because they're always down the back of the pitch. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Is that, I, so I think that's the higher order kind of goal for William. But I think he's thinking, okay, this, this is going to happen by getting people to explore you know, within in situ, yeah, yeah, be more creative, and I, I, I think that's his kind of yeah initial at, at an exact point in time. How do I get it that you'd be more creative in a given moment than what would normally be the case, where it's kind of almost predetermined what you should do here? Um, right, like how do you step outside of your existing frames? I would act this way in this situation, you know, because I've been coached this way before. And this is kind of the kind of thing that you're meant to do. Now, if I keep doing that, maybe I never realize something that I'm actually really capable of doing or other opportunities or different ways to approach this type of situation because we've just been coached in this fashion. right? And I guess the progress of any sport really is, you know, refining the possibilities that are available within a given situation. Some, some people realizing, oh, this kind of thing works, right? MMA is a great example. For a long time, right, something like uh, karate or even taekwondo were kind of ruled out, right? You had wrestling, you had boxing, you had jiu-jitsu. Those sports had an obvious skill set that was broadly applicable. And, you know, people started to focus on them a lot. But then 
you get some people who are able to do a bit of exploration because they have a basis within those things, but they also have something else, right? Whether it's Taekwondo or, or karate or even capoeira or something. And because they have that basis and they can maintain that foundation and fight at that level, they can start introducing novel things and then novel things kind of, prove themselves as also as valuable or also as worthy and then they kind of get selected right and they then they get introduced into the game right so then people just start learning spinning back kicks or something because they actually prove effective and then the people don't actually have to go and learn the whole of taekwondo but they can just learn this one kick that they know actually works so i think you know there's always this kind of constant reframing and reshuffling and and it kind of like yeah it kind of flies, well, I won't say flies in the face, but like it's, if you think of the 80-20, you know, and the, the Pareto principle, like, and what we've often talked about in jiu-jitsu settings, is like, you know, finding out what your strengths are and then doubling down on them. This is like, it's slightly different because it's, it, you know, if, if you knew that you were a good defender, you just double down on defending and how, but in doing that, you're kind of losing the chance or the 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 potential for exploration on other things that you might be good at, and I used the example, and I think this is where he he referenced uh, the episode that we spoke about was I said in jujitsu I would never anything with or plata won't have my name against it. You will never see the Eriko plata because I it's not native to me. I've decided I just it's not it's not for me and. Um, you know, I'm narrowing my focus because I can't be good at everything. Uh, but in that, I've kind of am I am I stopping the uh, potential to explore? And is this kind of what he's saying? He's saying, "Well, look, you know, if I get the guys too doubling down on on what they're good at, or what I deem them to be good at, you know, as the coach, that the, I'm also losing the opportunity from the, to show other skills." You know, how, how do you balance the 80-20? How do you balance doubling down on getting really good at something whilst, I suppose, staying open and curious to other things that you don't know or that, that, you, that you might be good at but don't fit the native uh, behaviours from the, from the get-go? In that situation, I'd go back to our previous conversation, right? It's have you the principles in place? Have you the foundational moves in place? Have you your game in place? And then have you your details? Now, you can always go back a phase, right? But it would actually make a lot of sense to have your game in place, have the first tree in place, start messing around with some details. You know, if maybe the details aren't coming as quick as you want, maybe you have to go back and rethink your game a little bit, but you still have the principles and foundations in place, right? You're not skipping ahead to the details and just trying to be creative at the cost of those other things, because those other things are going to work across a range of situations, whereas the details are very, very specific. So I think like you can only be truly creative in a sense once you have the foundation. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I think what's important is to not stagnate once you get, you know, once you get your principles, your foundation and your game, it's how do you continue learning? And I think that is the kind of place where William is trying to coach at. Because I'm presuming a lot of the people he's thinking about coaching, or at least some of them, would have... Let's, uh, the more I think about that, let's come back to that one at the end, right? Because I think the interim discussion will be good. Because yeah, like, I, I imagine, right, like, I'm just thinking in practical terms what he's actually... What he's actually wanting, like I imagine, I, I just foresee an example on soccer pitch where he has his defenders, and say they're 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 facing their own goal. There's a guy behind them, they're just stepping in the ball. The, the the native behavior or the coached behavior or whatever it is might be to pass it back to the goalkeeper, and then the goalkeeper boots it up, and then we we rebuild. But he might know that that person has a great skill. And, and should be taken on players or should be turning to face them and then go up the wing. You know, like I'm just thinking like a winger or something. So how does he, you know, the native behavior or everything they've done for their whole 
you know, previous 10 years might be to pass it back to the keeper, might be pass it back to their center back. But he knows that this person can beat everybody. But And, and they're not, he, he wants to have that start to happen. He wants them to, to have in that microcosm of a second to rather than fall into what is the native behavior and pass it back or pass it back, which is the done thing. How do I get this fella to stand, stand the ball, turn and, and take on this defender? You know, in a, in a coaching setting, what, what can I do so that that ability is more learned or more trained so when he hits the soccer field the next time or if he does it over a, a period of months or whatever, that that starts to become, I won't say a habit, right, but it right, starts right, to become... Right. Yeah, I just imagine that's the kind of thing that I might be wrong now, but I imagine that's the kind of thing he wants. To, he wants to actually happen because he probably looks at all these guys and they're all doing what they should be doing and what everybody knows they should be doing. But he sees the potential in lots of them, and you know what's potential in a soccer match? Well, you know it might be for a defender to go to take on players, or it might be for um, you know a a striker to to hustle back and make important tackles, or it might be something like outside of the norms, or it might be for uh, you know uh, like you say a defender to take a penalty or, or a corner kick. But again, they're kind of set pieces, so maybe it's not a set piece kind of thing. But you know, uh, you know but maybe like like I said, turning to to, to take on players and things like that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What I else think, can you do? And I, and I imagine, no, I'm sorry, but I imagine again what I'm thinking is he's like the likes of a, a Ronaldo or these guys, they're, you know, are messy and they do things that are like outside of what would, you know, they're probably native to them at this stage, but they're outside of what would be native uh, teachings from coaches. And there's probably low, like, and again, I'm, I'm assuming here, he's probably saying, how, what's the, where's the next messy coming from? The current coaching framework might actually dampen. The, the next Messi because all he'll do is he'll, he'll, he'll get the ball and he'll do what he's told to do. How do I, how do I have it that I end up with 10 Messies on my field? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I kind of think that's probably where he's going. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the, and I think the answers I'm, I have here when we get onto them. If I just stop interrupting you, yeah, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I think they're, they reflect the kind of thing you're saying. All right, let's go. So, yeah, in responding to his own question, R- w- William suggests something good, right? He's, he says, he talks about a kind of recontextualization might be an interesting way to, to kind of reorganize the available affordances, the ver- available opportunities um, for action for the athlete to better support that kind of exploratory dynamic. And I think that's like, that's the core of a very good idea. You know, if we think about action taking place within frames, right? We talked about frames previously as as kind of habit structures that function at various kind of timescales, right? Expectations and anticipations and and actions that are channeled along those expectations because of a previous history of interacting. The question is like, how does one break from an existing frame, right? I'm channeled, like you're saying, you're channeled in this direction because your history of coaching set of expectations and anticipations there's norms about what you should and shouldn't do and we tend to kind of maintain our maintain our action within those boundaries so yeah the frame suggests a particular set of affordances right i see the certain opportunities for action and i don't see others because of the frames because of my history of interacting and kind of reproducing these frames and this way we become predictable right so what's what what the question we need to ask ourselves is you know how can one reframe the situation right how can not only i reframe the situation but how can i instill the habit of reframing situations mm. so i don't know a lot about football right but you know if you think about someone like ronaldo like you were saying what's he in the business to do or a messi you know he finds himself in a situation which most would like simply say try a shimmy or look for a pass or whatever but for him he's able to see the situation as something else right and not only does he see it as something else and surprise you know everybody there right but also he's exciting to watch precisely because of that right we have a set of kind of expectations about what someone's going to do in this situation and someone's able to reframe it in an instant right and do some fancy footwork or whatever 
And all of a sudden, he's sh- saying to us, in a sense, you know, to, to the people watching and to the people he's playing against that, you know, this is just fun for me or whatever. This is a different type of situation than it is for you. And not only has he got the skill to do it, but I think the psychological aspect of that too is also probably valuable. But, right, he's so good at doing it that he's obviously habituated the tendency to do it, right? It's always an opportunity. It's always a possibility for him just to kind of break off into this this kind of unpredictable response. You know, someone like Jeff Glover in, in, in BJJ is, is a good example too, right? He's got all sorts of weird and wacky guards that he seems to be just playing with a lot of the time. So, you know, how can we habituate exploratory frames if we want to ter- talk about them in those terms? So if I kind of carry this over into jujitsu for a second and just domains where I have a bit more familiarity, I think... One good understanding or one good approach is having a principle-based understanding is a good starting point, right? If I have, you know, you may be, you might be able to reinterpret this for this the football match better than I would, but if I have a principled understanding within a jujitsu context, right, and I'm not just hunting specific techniques, but I have a broader sense of what the possibilities are in terms of the kind of principled application of my body to another body. I can see things that I've never done before and see them as opportunities to be done, right? Because I have that principled understanding. So maybe there's something in the context of football that, you know, you can see these overarching goals and, you can kind of develop a sensitivity to what those are. So rather than saying, what's the immediate situation here? How can I kind of raise up a level to a higher level or a principle or an overarching goal and work towards that situation? And does that actually reframe the present situation in a way that might bring about a different field of avoidances? Another op- another option that was this just came to me the other day actually was something I'm, I, was, I was calling half rules, right? So if I have a rule, right, a rule dictates, say, or, uh, you know, a norm, specific norm within the context of a football match or whatever, it, dicta- it dictates what I should do, right? So first, if I'm, if I'm sparring or punching a bag, it kind of came to me the other day when I was punching a bag. And I was just kind of saying, okay, jab jab cross right so if i've got jab jab cross and that's my rule and i'm training on the bag say for one round with that well i'm just throwing jab jab cross but if i've got a half a rule right which is maybe left left right right it's less specific but it's still something and i'm free to improvise within that well then i have a kind of background right that supports my improvisation but it's not over-determinate, right? It's not saying this is the way it has to be. And, you know, just messing around with it in my head the other day, I did notice that it was kind of loosening up the situation and I was having to improvise. Now, and I think this is going to be part of the problem here with this kind of process of reframe or recontextualization is that I found myself less sure of myself when I was throwing those punches, but it was definitely a means towards a kind of improvise Improv- improvisatory response. Yeah, I like that actually. That's interesting. Like you say, I remember when I used to be playing soccer, you know, the kind of the, 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 the rule was you would, if I was playing in, in defense, I was like center half. So you would clear the ball out and then you would push out. And it was like, that was the habit. That was as soon as you get the ball, you push out towards the midfield line so that you you can kind of catch people offside, even though amateur underage soccer like catching lads offside it was like it was basically a a lottery whether you did or not, depending on how fit the linesman was or what he felt like running. You know, we didn't exactly, or if there was a linesman, <laughs> usually actually there was a linesman as a referee. But that was the that was the thing, and it was push out. It was like push out, push out, and that was the habit. And we just had a habit of pushing out. 
Now, if you had a, a, a half rule, like you say, like safe, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something, you know, safe. That's your rule. Is your, is your defense safe? Well, rather than having the habit of pushing out every single time to the, the halfway line, which is, again, not fulfilling our potential. We were, all defenders were caught by the same rule. It had a purpose, but by us uh, meeting that purpose, which was, you know, potentially catching lad offside, uh, which rarely ever happened, we were also forfeiting everything else that we might be good at whilst holding that defense or, or doing something different. And yeah, if you had the half rule, and you know, safe is maybe a bad word, or, or clear, you know, and it meant something looser that, right, you know, are we safe? Has, have we, you know, you know, like you say, it's not, it's not defined. It might mean, do we have a handle on where our strikers are? Are we, you know, are we pushing out? Maybe is part of it, but it also leaves you open to other things rather than push out or yeah, the same thing, you know, like the winger rather than when you make a tackle on the wing, you always kick it out for a throw in. And that was again something we used to always do as, as if it was playing on the wing or halfbacks. You would slide tackle and you would try and get the ball and put it out of play to give your team a chance to, to, to regain. But that's because you were building this habit of tackle and get it out. But maybe another thing would be, you know, maybe a half rule could be uh, regain or, or control or, you know, w- w- you know, whatever that word might be. Right, right. And the, I think the value of the half rule there is... So if if it's push out, right, you've got one direction, one trajectory, and you're either on it or not, right? But if you have something like you're saying, safe or clear, or you're allowing the interpretation at the individual level, right? So that person might see another opportunity, right? Because they're, they're in that present moment and they have a kind of, uh, you know, they have this, an innate say, a tendency to respond that they would respond if they could respond in a certain situation. Um, and just by apply, applying that half-rule frame uh, might, you know, like William was saying, you know, might, might help them make the best of their own capacities. Yeah. So what would be an example in jiu-jitsu? I'm just trying to think, you know, uh, or you have a kind of standard thing that you're supposed to do, but you want to keep the, the exploration to do something else. You know, I suppose when you just think of like, what do we know? Bluebells. <laughs> what are we? What are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> I suppose you know. You think a closed guard, right? You think a closed guard. Well, again, so you know, a lot of these are. Have you got your, you know, your base, your posture, your structure, those kind of things? You you want to have them in place, but maybe like with closed guard, it's always like, you know, you trap one arm, you stand up to that side. It's almost methodical, you know, there's different versions of it, but it's almost methodical on, on how to open a, a closed guard from standing. Maybe if you had something different, you know, rather than, you know, as long well, as the principle. I, I think, I think um, a good one there is, so rather than looking for something specific, right, you're, you're looking for openings, right? So, you know, maybe you think, okay, what's open rather than how do I get this? Uh, particular sweep or whatever or how do I how do I make an opening you know so um, make an opening right might be a half half rule there mm-hmm. or say if you're on top rather than say okay I'm going to attack this arm it might be get a limb uh, yeah. away from their body right yeah. and then actually that, that's that, 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 that does make sense doesn't it right because all of a sudden you're not just you're not as predictable, right? And things, the, the kind of available affordances to you, you know, the opportunities for action in that situation now are quite different, right? And you're probably scanning sensitive to um, things that you could quite easily be sensitive to if you were just working from that half rule, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's probably like, you know, I'm sure there's higher bells listen to this kind of stuff going, yeah, well, yeah, this is the point, you know? And whether it's, and, and you probably have these masters at soccer as well. You know, when you listen to Josh Waitzkin talking about chess, he starts to <clears throat> talk in these kind of terms where it's not just like, you know, he talks about opening stages of chess matches where a lot of the young guys would would memorize opening stages. So it's very much a, a formula, whereas he got to the, the level of expertise where it's, you know, it's the subconscious. It's it's a whole, like, you know, it talks about the art of learning. You know, it's 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 moving on a different kind of scale 
so I think that the, the the other ones that I suggest kind of build from that idea, but they might be fun to just kind of hash out anyway. Because there's one situation in particular that it's not very well known and it's not very well in, understood. Uh, there's one paper I've came across in it. Um, it's this idea of ritual anti-structure. Now it's in a rather different domain, but I think it might be suggestive, right? So in um so there was a mesoamerican tribes in 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 say, south america so indigenous tribes long long time ago when when a lot of say kind of chiefdoms were in a sense getting too big right that they ended up warring you know they were getting too populated they were too close together and uh this i guess they didn't want to war so much they started doing these kind of ritualized negotiations, I guess, meetings between the said the, the chieftains or the whoever was representing any chieftain. Uh, I, I'm not sure if the, that was the word to use, but you know what I'm getting at. And so, in in the uh, in these ritualized negotiations, they would ingest psychedelic substances, I guess, mushrooms or toad venoms or whatever it was, and the idea was that they would kind of enter into this space of high criticality together, right? This space that was really fluid together. And in doing so, they would somehow kind of transcend the existing frames that they were coming to the situation with so that they could better come to some sort of cooperative outcome, right? And the idea is that in that space, not only could say something new emerge but also something new could take so take hold right so a new stability could be possible and you know that this actually reflects really well some of the understanding around the value and say function of i won't say function but said that the kind of mechanisms if you will or the processes or the the um underlying dynamics of how psychedelics work in an individual right they they open up this space in which possibilities are revealed that otherwise wouldn't be because the structures are over determining the the kind of nature of things right so if i'm just in my everyday consciousness uh my my habits are really Say, say my coupling to my environment is really determining my experience of that environment. But if I ingest psychedelics, all this other information starts flooding in and interacting in a way that new things become possible, right? And we can enter a kind of creative states and whatnot. I mean, there's flow states and all, and these all kind of reflect possibly some version of the same, but maybe less further along the spectrum. But yeah, this anti-ritual structure basically says that the same thing is possible in a social interaction, right? We can enter into these states of high criticality where there's a lot of possibility and something you can take hold where we can stabilize something that's, you know, stabilized in the relationship between us. So then there's a question, and I don't have a good answer here, but it's a, it's a good frame in and of itself. How can you do that <laughs> with a soccer team without getting them, you know, high, right? What is the, the kind of, the mechanism for inducing criticality. And my feeling is that maybe it's a kind of commitment to that. Maybe there's some sort of ritualized commitment to that uh, in training, right? Maybe before matches, whatever the game is. Like if, if, if we're saying, how do you modify these coaching techniques that have been around for a long time? It might take some sort of wacky ideas, right? It might be something that we haven't thought about you know you know like if we're being if we're if we're kind of aligning ourselves with the same thing we're trying to promote here maybe it does take something like that and i i think it's certainly something worth having to think about right yeah yeah and i suppose yeah and what you know what do we know about coaching soccer teams but yeah the uh yeah, maybe there's something, you know, you talk about the commitment to it. Maybe there's something, you know, because it's very much regimented and uniformed and, and the 4-4-2 or the 4-4-3-3 and it's very much positional and that has its own reasons. But yeah, maybe you have to kind of fly in the face of some of these norms to 
see maybe you look at somebody rather than a, as a, as a, a position you know they're they're right back you know you frame them differently you know uh, they are good at and you, you know three different things maybe it's like taking on players you know uh, uh, having a different purpose in 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 the team setup than a place and a a position on a, on a on a plan view of a of a pitch Right, right. That's, that's just an example. Right? That's not that's not an answer to anything either. But it's like you know that that's probably the kind of stuff that that you need to be thinking if you. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, right? So like, rather than thinking yourself as a a defender, right? <laughs> so we're getting way out in the, out in the <laughs> long grass. But you could give yourself like the name of a superhero within this team of superheroes, and like you've got these archetypal qualities, right? And they may be I don't know over and above anything you'd ever expect of a soccer player, right? But you try and embody them for the crack. But I'm just thinking, so if we're thinking about ritual anti-structure and how do you induce these changes, like, you know, if, you, if you're trying to bring a kind of spirit of exploration, maybe you could do that outside of the soccer pitch too, right? So like team building exercises that... Um, are really miles apart from a soccer pitch, right? So maybe going trekking together, doing stuff where you're actually developing this real need to be really creative together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's for William to have a think about if he, if it resonates at all. Mm-hmm. One other thing I thought here, I think it's funny. Just, uh, right? I just want to say that we're not going to get to the other questions, uh, but we'll get to the remainder of this one. So shout outs to the other questions. Thank you. We'll try and get to it. <laughs> right. The other one is short, so we'll get to it at the start of the next episode. Uh, the last one, and the last one is one that could be expanded in a million different ways, was, so thinking about tarot cards, right? <laughs> so, you know, people do tarot cards and, you know, there's some people have, um, some sort of sense that the universe is kind of colluding in some way to show them this thing that they need to be shown. That's one way to interpret it, I guess. It probably maybe 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 a little bit hopeful or maybe a little bit there's a bit of supernatural thinking that goes on there, maybe. But I think a more interesting way to think about something like a tarot card, right, is that it is a frame, right? It's 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 like it's all well, the tar- the set of tarot cards is a set of frames which you can bring to bear and which will reflect or refract your experience right as it is to you in this present moment right so if you have a tarot i don't even know the names of them but if you have a tarot card and it's like i don't know the wild witch or something and it it has a certain certain qualities right and you just expose yourself to it in the in the relationship where you already think it's telling you something about yourself. It's a bit like a prism, right? Where you're shining a, a bit of light through and then you see how the you're looking at the kind of wall behind it and you're seeing how the light that shone through it now has all these different qualities, right? When when I think about my own experience in this present time through this frame of the wild witch who has these various qualities, now it calls forth aspects of myself that otherwise I mightn't have ever called forth, right? But they're also framed by this present situation and this whole context that I'm within. So I was thinking like, and this goes back to the half rules a bit, right? But can you have like a deck of reframes, like a, a card deck where you have maybe maybe tied in with the half rules, right? Where you have 20 different types of half rules, right? And you basically learn off the deck. And then in, in any instant, you could ask, okay, how can I re- reframe this situation? Give the, give the, give the, the cards or the, the half rules a name, learn them off and you know, and then think through the situations as you're in them. Maybe in any any particular context, they don't all apply, or maybe you develop some sensitivity to where they do apply. But, you know, thinking about other places in which these reframes happen, and that is the kind of nature of the practice, such as tarot card reading, through my interpretation here at least, might be a good kind of 
you know, medium or kind of little research project to engage in. Mm. So, yeah. So Bessie, William, if, uh, if you can't get it done in the field, go take mushrooms and see a, <laughs> see a tarot card reader. <laughs> <laughs> well, look to William, you asked, you were, you were asked to be creative, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. But like, like my feeling is like if the team is to go comf- comfortable with, you know, being exploratory, you know, really has to be there in their training from the start, you know, and I don't think this is just in terms of like once in a while go and explore or whatever. Yeah. Um, it needs to be something they're doing for themselves, right? And and that well, that's it. If you if you want it to be in a moment that they're going to, uh, you know, act exp- exploratory, it it needs to be more than just ad hoc, random events. Otherwise, you won't have the habit. Right. Exactly. You know, and if the outcome is some sense, part of the outcome is getting to that point where they're actually are more exploratory, right? You have to go through that process of distillation, thinking about how do you set it up? How do you introduce the habit? How do you, um, you know, plant the seed and care for the seed and so on? And, you know, do, do, do your eco-behavioral design in, in, the, in the standard kind of fashion. Uh, and there's one example here, just to kind of wrap it up, that one example of a coach that I came across recently who actually does this in the context of jujitsu, I think a little bit anyway, um, Kit Dale, you know, Kit Dale. Yeah. So he will, you talked about him in the last episode. Oh, did we? Yeah. Go on. Well, so maybe I use a specific tra- use specific training. He does a lot of specific training, but one thing he does is these, he says when he's shown a move, or piece of technique, he'll only show 60% of the technique initially. And he wants people to come back after kind of exploring the technique themselves and have questions that are specific to themselves. And I think that's brilliant, especially in the context of what we're talking about here, right? Because what you want to do is get people being being sensitive to their own, to in a sense, kind of excavating their own, well, first of all, just getting them to ask good questions, right, with respect to their own learning, but becoming very sensitive to their own learning so that they can kind of amplify it and unfold it and uncover it in a way. Mm. And, you know, if we're, if, we're, if we're talking about how do you make someone like a brilliant explorer or brilliantly creative time out so yeah if you want to get you know if you want to kind of up level or or upregulate the the whole say exploratory capacity of the team over the longer term uh, you don't really want to be the one dictating that right you know you're trying to instill something that uh, other people start to kind of self-organize around, right? And then everybody's feeding back into it. So I think the most important thing is 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 going to be like helping people develop sensitivities to their own development, right? You know, in a sense, providing some kind of frame within which a lot of kind of sovereignty or autonomy can emerge for the individuals as learners, as explorers, as creatives. And the way they're going to do that is, you know, by having that space where they can reflect on their, on their learning a bit. And I think like what Kit Dale offers, you know, by leaving that bit of space, that 60% is like people looking for the right questions. Right. And, I think that is the key to to learning, right? Is figuring out good questions. How do you ask better questions? Um, so when people are asking better questions about their own learning, better, better questions about their own development, they're also asking better questions about, like, how am I responding to this? What are my strengths? How can I build on my strengths? And um, maybe something as simple that, right? Not just half rules, like we talked about earlier, but like kind of half coaching right might be a good way now 
probably way out of our depth here. And there's, you know, there's, a, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's hey, a, it's an idea. It's not a direction. Right. Uh, and like, you know, when I talk to teachers, as I was actually running this by uh, someone recently, and he was saying like teaching really opened up for him and in, in a way uh, or at a point where he started practicing it's, it's the method is called dogma, right? And there's a million different ways to teach, but this dogma method is uh, developed by your man, Lars von Trier, I think, strangely enough, the the uh, director. But he used it in the context of directing, where it's like minimal direction and, you know, minimal teaching in the same way, right? So you just provide the bare constraints. And... Um, you know, so it's a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm, I think, does something similar, right? It's like a bit of a script, bit of a situation, let the best emerge from people. And I think that's kind of, you know, what that's what Kit Dale does, right? It's what Dogma does, it's what Curb Your Enthusiasm does. And I think all of those reflect a kind of maybe a, a, a mode that could be adopted more broadly and I can certainly see how that that could be adopted within the context of a football coaching or whatever. What it is, it's like, and you just think about in the business world as well. It's like rather than you know, generally the better managers are not the micromanagers; they're, they're the people that kind of you know have the visions and you know get you aligned with them, and you, you tie in versus the person that's you know giving you every letter of the email you must write to somebody. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So the key to everything is do as little as possible. I think it's it's half structure, right? Like even (laughs) as long as it's not half arsed. (laughs) Even if (laughs) half structure, fully arsed. (laughs) Even if like, I was thinking like, you know, a, a situation where you're, you have to get up and speak in front of somebody. Just having those minimal constraint, few bullet points, or maybe having a template of, you know, the who, the what, and the why, or the, you know, the what, the now what, and the then what, you know, having that little scheme and that little template can actually provide a set of a frame within a set, a, situ, a set of situational constraints that helps you orient yourself within it. And I think... Yeah. Like, I'd be interested here if William's response if he does get a response, it does get an opportunity to respond to this. And of course, feel free to take as long as we took in responding to you, William. But uh, if you do get a chance to respond, certainly if you ever get a chance to enact any of this stuff, <laughs> or if we've totally missed the mark and maybe you've already. <laughs> like, hey, you read the email wrong. Like, all right. Maybe we, um, you know, maybe we have read the email wrong but yeah i i also think you know he might be more interested in the kind of nuts and bolts of how best to actually habituate the tendency within the players to do this kind of thing you know maybe he already has taught through this kind of thing if that's the case get on to us and we'll do another episode at some point (laughs) (laughs) but don't hold your hold your breath but yeah it might take a while very good right I think uh, we should wrap her up there. That was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks for asking the question. It was a, it was a rich one, and I came back to it a few times. I actually took some notes and then lost them somewhere. Once we we attempted to do this a few times, and it just never it never kind of worked well for us. But um, hopefully, there was something in that, and hopefully, you know, whatever my notes were previously were kind of captured there and that again anyway cool sweet well um i think let's just leave it there and we have a talk again soon so we doing any sort of <laughs> if, if you're looking for the uh, email address ecobehavedesign at gmail.com instagram ecobehavioral designs behavior in the European sense. You get me on Twitter, Mark M. James. And um, so 
do we want to say tell people what's happening? We've got hopefully three more episodes before the end of this season. Yeah, so we'll we'll wrap up the season at the end of August. Hopefully that's with a gold medal at the World Masters, but coming less and less likely. Although I see Europe now is basically relaxing the they're they're gonna create these air bridges, including with Canada. So I, I would actually in theory be able to fly to Ireland next week. Is that right? Without a quarantine? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But obviously, America still has a, a little bit to go. So I don't know if anyone's got an air bridge with America for the moment. Maybe by the end of August, it will be different. So we shall see. Uh, anyways, yeah, so that's it. We're going to nut out a few more episodes, wrap it up then, whatever happens. And um, we'll see how we go from there. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, we have obviously a few ideas about what season two might entail, but um, would also be interested a bit of feedback how from people, from listeners, how, how they think we should um, approach season two. I mean, it's kind of wide open. We were talking about the possibility that it, it'll get more BJJ specific or martial arts specific, maybe potentially looking to marry a bit more the the kind of philosophical more philosophical perspective beyond and broader than just the eco behavioral design stuff yeah obviously having that frame there as well yeah that'd be good it'd be good to get some feedback and uh we were thinking about doing talking to others again don't know any feedback would be appreciated what you think of the format what would be a good idea for next year uh if you just want us to stop. Yeah, and I think um <laughs> <laughs> I'll be I'll be hopefully I'll be I'll have more time available to me and you know might 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 gear up the production a little bit, get a get an intro, get an outro at least. And what are you uh, about, man, if it's the best intro and outro ever. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Cool. On that on that note. Leave the, we'll use that as the outro for this one. We started with a bit of uh, bickering. We'll finish with a bit of bickering. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.